Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's so happy that Wizards of the Coast doubled, if not tripled, the number of Golgari elf commanders now available in Commander Legends. That's Matt Morgan. So Joey, I bought a Tesla and I'm worried that if somebody stole it from me, they'd have to call it an Edison. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, there's a lot of layers to that joke I and i love that good, but i really appreciate your your confidence there <laughs> that was delightful uh next he's so happy that wizards of the coast again doubled or tripled the number of golgari elf legends available with kaldheim that's dana roach um given the amount of gray in my beard there shouldn't be a lot of doubts that i've kind of reached my golden years but if there are any uh i'm gonna put it to rest by saying the best Christmas present I got this year that still excites me every morning are the brand new socks I got. <laughs> That's great. But um, Dana, this year is 2021. You got to get out of the 2020 headspace. I, I, it, it's it's like December 42nd, I think, today is what it feels like. <laughs> Uh, well spotted. Yeah, I, that that describes my mood, too. Time has no meaning. We've established. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck-building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Dana, what is it that we are talking about on this week's episode? The uh, card type balance, meaning the the type of cards in individual decks and how distributed they are, heavy or light. Yeah, especially on the heavy side, kind of taking a look at the commanders that, you know, run the most creatures or the commander that plays the most enchantment cards on average in its deck. But then also seeing, is there a commander that has a really even balance of all the card types? And what would that kind of deck look like? So it should be really fun to get to. But before we get to that main topic, we want to pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all of the post-production work on our podcast here that make it look as awesome as it does. So thank you all so much. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show too uh the track cast is sponsored by card kingdom and a tcg player if you see us play a card on our stream at twitch tv slash edhreccast card kingdom will probably have that card in stock and if we talk about a card on our challenge stats segment it'll probably be available at tcg player as well simply go to edhreck click on the card in question and choose the vendor link down below doing so supports both the site and the show and if you would prefer to support the podcast directly and partner with us, as it were, you can do so over at e uh, patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join the Discord community that we have, you want to submit a challenge of stats that we'll feature here later on on one of the our favorite segments, or you just want a quick shout out every episode, we have tiers of all levels. You can do pretty much whatever you want with that. And speaking of patrons that we are going to shout out, we have a very special patron, uh, D. DJ Rathiel has the hottest remixes of all the DJs out there, um, and especially of all of our patrons. So thank you, DJ, for your patronage. <laughs> DJ Rathiel, that is a really, really cool name. Thank you so, so much for the support. All right, fellas, let's get to our main topic. We're talking about the most balanced, but also some pretty imbalanced uh, with regards to card types in all of the commander format taking a look at the commanders that have the most sorceries or the most lands or the greatest number of planeswalkers in their decks i guess it would be kind of a quick note to pause and do you think you have any predictions out there before we really get started and kind of what are your thoughts on you know decks that play so many cards of a single type 
and not as many cards of another type. Like, do those decks feel kind of weird to you? Do they feel more natural? Matt, where do you think that you're at with uh, with all of that going on before we actually get to the numbers? Um, I'm willing to bet that the artifact heavy commander probably is going to be blue. Just a, a guess with all the millions that we've gotten. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, any commander that tends to like refer to a specific card type probably is going to be pretty heavy. And as we go through the list, that is my prediction is whatever they like the legendary creature is that leads that category they probably say on the card text something specifying about that card type okay so that kind of maybe suggests that maybe like it would be a little bit of a prescriptive deck that kind of builds itself maybe i feel like that might be what you're hinting at yeah yeah gotcha and dana where do you think you're at i feel like uh, you know a year and a half ago two years ago i would have had a much better understanding of like what each of these individual category winners are but we've got and i looked it up just to be exact we've got over seventeen thousand new commanders in the last 18 months <laughs> like at this point i don't even i can't even possibly guess there's just so many variables so many commanders that do a lot of these things um i'm really curious because i think a lot of them will be relatively new and I'd like to see how many of them actually are ones that have uh, among those 17,000 that have dropped in the last 18 months. Thanks for nothing, 17. partners. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> oh, man. Well, no, thanks. Thanks for a little bit, I guess, but not not a lot. Oh, man. No, it definitely is a lot. I think that there's kind of a um, a discussion to be had around the commanders that lean specifically into one type, you know, for having a whole bunch of creatures, for example, or having a whole bunch of artifacts or something. There's kind of a, a thing to be said about the echo chamber effect, potentially, of what that is. I guess I've kind of found in recent brews for myself that a deck really does its best when it kind of just stays within its lane and it focuses on doing the one thing rather than spreading itself too thin. So it feels to me like most of my decks have this kind of weighted imbalance to them basically like they're not accounting for like all of the different possibilities like no they want the synergies to bounce off of each other and so it's a very tightly focused type of list that kind of demands categories be weighted in certain ways is that an experience that also kind of resonates with you guys or are you just more well-rounded people than i am no i i think i've experienced the same thing um and i've especially noticed the couple of decks i've brewed this year the demands um, in terms of what cards they want me to run have actually lent me led me to run far fewer creatures than I usually run on my decks. So uh, I've built a couple of decks this year that, that are looking at like three, four, five creatures in the decks just because the way I'm building it, there's so many things I want to do that happens to be the thing that I cut. And, and once upon a time that I don't remember things being that tight. Like even if a deck had a certain theme, very easy to find room for like 15 creatures. Um, It doesn't feel that way anymore necessarily. Like I feel like you have to sacrifice something. It was creatures, but maybe it's artifacts or enchantments or whatever. There's, There's not enough room for all the stuffing in the pillow, so to speak. <laughs> See, I don't know. I, 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 I get what you're saying, Dana, but also how do you only get three or four creatures in one deck? Like even my real deck that that's all about wheels and discarding stuff. I find those creatures that are going to have those payoffs. And I still, I believe I have seven creatures in that deck. Like I just, I, 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 
maybe this is just me and, and my personal, you know, mindset when it comes to deck building is like, I want to make sure that like those creatures that I'm, I'm putting in the decks, those are going to be at least a decent amount of those payoffs that I'm looking for, whatever sure. the deck may be. Um, and I think that's just interesting that like all three of us have a very different approach when it comes to, well, what's a sacred cow as far as what kind of numbers are we looking for to, to maintain at least when it comes to any given category. So it's just something that I think we'll, we'll, we'll definitely explore as we get through this list. Yeah. And let's, in fact, let's get to it. We're going to start off with the creatures category. What is the commander that contains the greatest number of creature cards on average in the 99? I feel like this maybe won't surprise too many folks, but when we are starting to look at these, uh, at the creatures, it's going to be some gruel stuff. And I'm kind of like, wait, did Matt, did Matt make this list? Are these all of Matt's stuff? Our number one commander that contains the most creatures is Nikia of the old ways. That is the five mana gruel commander that doubles your land output, but prevents you from casting non-creature spells. So yeah, you'll want a whole lot of creatures in that deck. And on average, Nikia of the old ways is playing 57 creatures in the deck. 57 for the for the record there's like an average of 37 lands so that made 57 with the mat that's like six cards that aren't creatures in a nikki attack on average like that's whew. well i mean that that's pretty dense when it comes to creatures like even i'm like all right i'm impressed but then when you think about it, like the, the deck is all about getting Nikia out as soon as possible and then, you know, making sure that you can't really do anything else because, I mean, there's they're playing one artifact in that deck, which is probably Sol Ring, let's be honest. But yeah, then they're, yep. they're just looking to get any of those effects that they would have gotten from their non-creature spells. They're just putting it onto creatures. So you have a bunch of Wood Elves and, and a Farhaven Elf type of effects where, you know, you play a creature and you're going to get that that land ramp anyway, so you don't have to play rampant growth and cultivate instead. So just finding ways to get some of those spell effects onto your creatures. I do like that. That's always just a, a fun thought exercise to go through is how can I put these and make sure that my Nikia deck, for example, is still getting all of those veggies, all those cards that I need, but just putting that effect on a creature. Well, it, it definitely forces you to run cards you wouldn't traditionally run. Um, you know, obviously Sakura Tribe Elder is really, really good regardless of whether or not you can cast creature spells, but there's plenty of, of green creatures that do a similar thing that aren't your traditional, you know, kind of best in slot. They're, there's maybe worse than the close vegetation, for example. But when it's your only choice, choice, you run them. So this deck winds up then running quite a few creatures that you almost never see in commander decks. That's interesting, at least. Like, I, I, I like when a deck is forcing you to dig deep on a roster in a way that you otherwise wouldn't dig. Like, you just wouldn't go 57 creatures deep to, to find that, that, you know, fifth ramp creature that is so inefficient you would replace it with nature's lore normally. But in this deck, you want it on a body, so you always have the option to cast it. Um, it does make for interesting brew lists, absolutely. That's especially what I totally love, is that this is the type of commander where you'll see the cards that don't show up in other decks. Like mm -hmm. all those those cards, those 106th, 107th, the 112th cards that were just like, ah, you don't quite make the cut in my deck, sorry. Like I've noticed that in Meister Conrad list, which loves it when creatures hit the graveyard, so I want to stuff it full of creatures too. But I have to catch myself 
making sure that I actually have enough creatures in the deck because the spells can be so, so alluring and so powerful with what they're able to offer me. And the creatures don't always have that same type of ability. So having a commander like this that forces you into that corner allows for such a cool degree of creative self-expression there while also giving you the chance to play the stuff that you wish you could anyway. Well, well Joey, the, the card is actually alluring, not alluring. <laughs> <laughs> um, which the typical Nikia deck does play in two enchantments, so it might very well be a learn. <laughs> I- <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Any excuse to talk about a word, Matt is any excuse. I mean that that's just one of my favorite cards ever. So yeah, of course I got to shoehorn it in somehow. Oh man, real quick, sort of dipping down from the you know Nikia was in first place, but the second place commander that had the most creatures is right there in that same vein, also from the Gruul clans. That's Rurikthar the Unbowed, who punishes people if they cast non-creature spells, and that one runs an average of forty-three creatures in the deck. So you know, again, a lot of Gruul stuff. Like Gruul has really marked what their decks are all about. You've got the huge big creatures and you don't want the non-creatures to be bogging stuff down. A quick interesting note though about like a creature dense deck like these is man you gotta you gotta protect that stuff. Board wipes are really big in commander so you have to be very clever about how you'll work around the fact that people are gonna wipe the board so often when you're running that many creatures. That's oof. That's a challenge. Board wipes are a challenge, and you can't rely on heroic intervention to save you in that deck. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then in third place, we also have, just with 42 creatures in the average deck, Animar, who makes all of your creatures cheaper. And that's a really cool thing to see. Um, so that's just some fun stuff going on in the creature category. Whole bunch of creatures for these commanders. So prepare your board wipes, I guess, because you know that they're going to have a lot of things crowding up that battlefield. Let's move now to artifacts. Matt, you had mentioned earlier that you think that the commander that has the most artifacts on average in its deck would contain blue. Is that true? That is not true. So strike one for old Mateo this episode. <laughs> um, but the number one, at least most artifact heavy commander that we have is going to be Karn Silver Golem. So Karn is a five mana legendary artifact golem. Um, is a four four. And whenever Karn Silver Golem blocks or becomes blocked, he gets the minus four plus four until end of turn. But the big ability that I think a lot of the deck builders are, are really drilling in on is his activated ability. So you can pay one mana and target non-creature artifacts artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost until end of turn. We are seeing on average 40 artifacts going into Karn Silver Golem decks, and that's just not going to be your soul rings. That's going to be some big and expensive artifacts too, because you want them to become those big and powerful beaters once you're activating Karn's ability. Yeah, it's a very interesting deck, um, you know, similar to, to Nikia up above. It's right there on the text that it's encouraging you to go very, very deep on artifacts. And it's encouraging you to do it as, as your way to win the game. Um, you know, Nikia kind of does the opposite. It's encouraging you. It's telling you you can't play other stuff. So you have to play creatures. In this case, it wants you to play artifacts because that's probably the way you're going to win the game by animating them and swinging through for lethal damage. In this particular case, too, like it almost feels inevitable that it would end up being a colorless commander that does this, not just for his own synergies, but like what enchantments is this commander playing? None of them. There aren't colorless enchantments that it could fill up the deck with instead. There aren't a ton of sorceries and instants that you could do in a colorless deck. So that kind of like requires it to all funnel into either creatures or artifacts. And since this commander can turn the artifacts into creatures, it just makes it all the better there too. This is another instance where, you know, if you're packing a bunch of board wipes against the commander decks that you know have a whole bunch of creatures in them, 
I don't know, Karn Silver Golem players, all 300 something of you out there, watch your back for those Bane of Progresses. That's all I'm going to say. At least uh, Karn has the option to to get some revenge on somebody on a board wipe coming down by animating their mana rocks into creatures. So <gasps> that's something you can do or, or at least tell people you're going to do if they dare play a board wipe against you. <laughs> Dana, you, you're mean. Actually, this whole deck seems pretty mean. Karn often runs Karn in his deck on average. Karn, the great creator, the planeswalker that prevents your opponents from activating abilities of their own artifacts. So by turning their stuff into, the, they've got the artifacts and you can microsynth lattice with stuff. This actually seems like a much meaner deck than I thought. Yeah. Huh. I'm a little bit more afraid of this colorless deck now. I mean, yeah, if, if you're playing the lattice lock, like, good on you um but yeah this this deck is it it can be pretty brutal and it just like it flows very very well i've seen a karn silver golem deck in effect once and um it was um did a number on the table you you could definitely say that <laughs> actually matt anya is a different card that's the anya merciless angel <laughs> oh, oh i thought it, i thought it was enya falconrath the uh <laughs> The looter and also a uh, wonderful vocalist. Who can say? She's, she has uh, Ornoco flowed over to a different list. We'll get to that later. I feel like we've already made that joke on this podcast. We, we, we are running. last week, actually. So. I think so. It's fresh. Creativity is not in our slice of the color pie. Anyway, moving through to the second and third place commanders. Matt, I feel like I'm going to... Uh, like throw this kind of back to you what are we seeing there and do those meet the predictions of blue being there hint hint joy i feel like you're rubbing in that like i don't know blue very well which would actually be kind of accurate so yeah you're you're right <laughs> um but completing the list the, the two and three ranked decks here hope of girapur um is coming in at number two and that's playing 39 artifacts on average so just barely behind karn silver golem and then in third place we have kirkesh onaki ancient with 35 artifacts um where kirkesh is obviously paying just a red mana to copy whatever that ability is of those artifacts so can be a pretty potent deck i know a friend of the podcast andrew cummings has a kirkesh charge counter tribal deck that has blown all of us up so yeah it's it's kind of cool to see a mono red commander showing up uh, at such a high rank such a high rank not a lot of love for kirkesh on the site no. only 123 decks at the current time of recording but that is a surprisingly spicy ability to copy those uh, abilities of the art Effects. And you can do some really crazy stuff that opponents will not see coming. It is really surprising to see that blue isn't among the top three, though, for the most artifacts. When I think of artifacts, I think of blue. And they definitely have a huge density of them there, but they're just not weighted completely toward the top like these particular ones are. And that's a pretty fascinating thing to see. Yeah, and I think in blue, you also get into that territory where there's quite a few blue enchantments. Um, Doctor Spy Network, for example, off the top of my head, that mm. interact with artifacts in a very positive way. So I think you wind up with a lot of these these blue artifact decks that run a decent amount of those kind of blue enchantments or blue creatures that interact with artifacts, whether that's to give them hexproof or or buff up the creatures, whatever. There's a lot of stuff there that I think probably helps push those numbers down in a way that you don't get that with the colorless stuff. Well, and I think another another factor too is what we kind of talked about a few episodes ago of all these, you know, mono blue legendary creatures that interact with artifacts. A lot of times people just kind of get pushed into Urza Lord High Artificer. So maybe some of that that deck diversity that we would see helping out some of these numbers 
people might just kind of throw their hands up and say, well, I may as well just be playing Urza. And, and then they end up doing that. That's another kind of interesting thing that you point out there, though, Dana, about the, you know, when you're playing a certain strategy and you want to have extra synergies with those, uh, I, I think of the card efficient construction as another example of a blue artifact uh, helper card. It is itself an enchantment that makes you more artifact tokens when you cast artifacts. But as an enchantment, it sticks out like a sore, th- a sore thumb in those decks, even though it's really good in them. And you can really only afford to run so many of those because if you run too many of the artifact enable cards rather than the artifacts themselves, then you don't have enough artifacts for the deck to actually work. And that can be a huge hurdle in deck building as well, where you've got like, yeah, all of these cool artifact helper cards and I've got seven artifacts because, oh no, these things like, oops, I need to actually make sure I run enough of the thing for the payoffs to work at all. Yeah. And it's a weird thing that, that works one way and not the other. Um, in my artifact deck, I do have to keep an eye on how many of those enablers that, that do interact nicely with my artifacts are enchantments. Um, cause I don't want too many of them to, to, to be that way. I need to keep my artifact count at a certain level. Um, in my enchantress deck, I never, almost ever have to worry about artifacts that are doing things with my enchantments. It very rarely mm-hmm. goes the other way. That's true. That's a good point. And let's see if that kind of echoes when we move on to the enchantment section. Which commanders are running the greatest number of enchantments on average? Dana, take us through it. Um, we have Tuvasa the Sunlit in the number one slot. Tuvasa is the, the three mana uh, Bant Merfolk Shaman. Um, Tuvasa gets plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. So right there on the card, it's telling you what direction to go. But if you were in doubt... <laughs> The uh, the next line of text here says, whenever you cast your first enchantment spell each turn, draw a card. So it's all right there for you. Run as many enchantments as you can in your Tuvasa deck. And people are listening. They're running 32 of them in Tuvasa. So, you know, obviously Karn can't run very many enchantments because Karn is colorless. But us just talking about how it's not as big of a deal for uh, enchantment commanders to want artifacts, well... It's kind of borne out here. Tuvasa decks are only running two artifacts on average. So there's just not much demand in that Enchantress deck for you to run artifacts. Well, and, and Dana, this is just another example of kind of my my prediction that, that wasn't incorrect was, you know, we're going to see the commanders that lead in these, these categories on the text themselves. They're kind of pointing you in that direction. They're almost building themselves. Tuvasa is another example, like all the commanders that we've seen so far have kind of pointed you in a certain direction to play a lot of this type of permanent because you're going to be rewarded for that. Tuvasa rewarding people for casting enchantments just automatically means they're going to want to play a lot of those enchantments in the deck. Something that also jumps out to me here, you mentioned that the number that we're seeing of enchantments here is 32. Compare that to the other ones that we looked at where Nikia was running 57 creatures and Karn was running 40 artifacts in those different categories. The number is going down when we take a look at enchantments. And I think it's most likely just because enchantments are kind of unwieldy to work around, even despite the fact that there are two colors that really struggle to be able to deal with enchantments. Actually building around them requires apparently a lot of support from other card types too, even if it's not a whole ton of artifacts. Yeah, I mean, like there's board wipes that are artifacts, you know, Nevedros Disc, for example. Um, you know, obviously your your ramp in the form of mana rocks is, is pretty well known. Um, yes, there's some rampant enchantments, but it's, you know, far less of it than there are mana rocks. There's, I think, a couple ways to kind of wipe the board with enchantments, but they're very specific colors that aren't in Tuvasa. So you're relying on spells there. 
Um, enchantments very much need to branch out to other types to, to do that kind of support work in a way that artifacts don't have to at least as much. Mm-hmm. And when we take a look at the second and third place commanders for enchantment, the uh, biggest number of enchantments, Matt, you are still being proven correct because the second place one is Estrid, who runs an average of 30 enchantments in her deck. So again, Bant Chantress going crazy there. And then in third place, we've already got Gen showing up with an average of 29. Gen, Arcanum Weaver, the Mardu Enchantress going on there too. So even if they are a little bit linear, they are definitely uh, really enjoying their lane a whole Whole lot with all those enchantments and i'd like to point out joy part of the reason i think gen is running so many and it's been so successful for being so new is it was my preview card in commander central so i think oh, that's definitely okay. the reason i think we've seen that rise in the ranks for sure dana you know that we don't talk about your other <laughs> podcast on this podcast i mean it, it, is, it is fitting too that you bring that up and then you know old maximilian over there on on cmdr central has a two Voss of the sunlit deck so this he is does. just kind of like cmdr central's category all by yourself absolutely Oh, no. See, all right. You know what? To to make our claim here as the podcast, you know, it's something that CMDR Central doesn't have. CMDR Central doesn't have challenged the stats. So how about we get to that and start challenging those numbers? Because there's a lot of data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play. Sometimes we think they see too little play. So let's challenge those stats, which other podcasts cannot do. <laughs> well, Joey, actually, let me let me start off with my challenge then, since we're going to talk about other podcasts. Um, all of the Gen decks, especially Dana's, should be the card custody battle because that's what he's embroiled in every single week between his two podcasts. Is that actually your challenge? No, that's not my actual challenge. But okay. Custody battle is a good card and flavorfully, it kind of fits here. Well played, um, my, man. I, I do what I can. Uh, but my real challenge of stats this week actually comes from one of our, our patrons over at uh, patreon.com slash EDH retcast. Um, just known as Kai in our Discord, uh, they suggested a really good challenge, actually, that I, I do enjoy quite a bit. Um, and that challenge this week is going to be Valakut Awakening in Gishath deck. So Gishath is that big Naya dinosaur tribal commander that, as you know, you probably predicted, plays a lot of very high CMC creatures in the deck. So Valakut Awakening is two and a red for an instant that says put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one. And Kai points out, this is a really good way to kind of filter out the high CMC dinosaurs that you might draw too early in the game. So that way you can draw some better setup cards, maybe draw some of your ramp or some of your, your early game interaction that you typically need when, you know, a seven and eight mana dinosaur just isn't gonna cut it on turn four. Likewise, say you're drawing some lands late game that you don't really need anymore, you can use this to shuffle those away and then get some new dinosaurs back into the hand so it's just a really good versatile card it is only showing up in 10 of the 2800 gishath decks currently and i do agree this is a card that probably needs a little more love in those gishath decks it's just such a versatile card being instant speed as well i really really like valakut awakening and i really do like it in gishath decks too so good catch kai uh, this is a pretty good challenge I want to also throw out there, like, if Valakut Awakening is putting stuff on the bottom of your library, there's a couple of really clever tutors that Gishoth players tend to run, like Congregation at Dawn, for example, mm -hmm. which takes creatures from your deck and puts them on top of your library. So if you don't want them stranded in your hand because they're not quite castable, but you want Gishoth to cheat them into play instead, there's some extra hidden synergy going on with the cards in the 99 there, too, which I also really enjoy. Yeah, all good cards. All right, Dana, how about your challenge? 
So my challenge to sets is for a card that I think is underplayed today, but I also think it will be underplayed in the very near future. And, and here's here's why. The card is on thin ice that was uh, printed in Modern Horizons here a year and a half ago or so. Um, it's a one mana um, snow enchantment aura, so a single white, and you enchant a snow land you control. And it says when on thin ice enters battlefield, Exile target creature and opponent controls until on thin ice leaves the battlefield. So it's only in 697 decks right now for a one mana exile a creature spell. Um, part of the reason probably is there's only so many reasons to run Snowlands right now. That's changing though with Kaldheim. We're already we've already seen not only are we getting Snowlands again, including Snow Dual Lands, we're getting a lot of cards that care about snow in general. I think if you're playing an Enchantress deck where you're focused on running enchantments like we've already seen to, to do a lot of your work, this is a one mana way to get rid of a creature. Um, Snowlands are going to be a lot more accessible, um, including those duels like I mentioned. So. And they're going to be cheaper as well, now that we're getting more copies. And they're already relatively cheap for Modern Horizons. So you have an option here to just swap out your basics for some Snowlands, put in those couple of Snow Duels in your Enchantress deck, and you have a one-mana Exile a Creature spell uh, just by switching to Snow. I think it's underplayed right now, and it's going to be even further underplayed in the future as people put Snowlands in their decks for the other cool cards we're getting in Kaldheim. Gotcha. I, I like this challenge. Like, Chain to the Rocks is another type of card. Like, mm -hmm. if you're just happening to play White Red X, uh, Chain to the Rocks is a similar type of card. Um, but, you know, you're not, obviously you're not beholden to playing White and Red together with uh, with your challenge. Uh, I really like this. I actually just went to cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC and bought a couple of these in, a, in anticipation of call time, just giving us some more snow stuff. So I put my money where my mouth is. I like this pick. Plus, On Thin Ice very nicely describes where Dana is at whenever he mentions his other podcast on this podcast. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to move to my challenge now. And my challenge is actually for Gen Arcanum Weaver. So it's funny that this came up for this show. Gen Arcanum Weaver is that Mardu Enchantress Commander that can pay Mardu and tap itself and sacrifice an enchantment to return turn an enchantment from your graveyard to the battlefield. There's about 370 Gen decks so far, and only two of them are playing the card Lingering Death, which is a very obscure commander, uh, excuse me, obscure enchantment from the Scourge set. It is a two mana aura that says the controller of the enchanted creature sacrifices it at the beginning of their next end step. So that sounds like a really cool, just like quick removal bit to get rid of someone's thing. The tempo's on it a little bit strange but what i find important about it for gen is that it is a way to repeatedly get rid of creatures that you don't like because gen can keep bringing it back from the graveyard after it you know inevitably winds back up in your graveyard specifically what i like about it is that it's actually a way since you're not casting this you're just returning it from the graveyard this is a way to get around stuff like indestructible commanders or hexproof creatures too which can be really really annoying to deal with and that just sounds like a really fun way to have some repeated removal that also gets around a, a couple of those nasty uh, enchantments that your uh, nasty abilities that your opponents might have is just a fun kind of weird card and i think it deserves a little bit more attention for those gen decks that's a good call you can run that in your gen deck alongside on thin ice <laughs> <laughs> and custody battle and custody oh battle. no <laughs> 
gotta be done. All right, folks, let's get back to our main topic. We've talked about creatures, artifacts, and enchantments, but now let's talk about spells. Let's actually tackle instants and sorceries at the same time here. When we're taking a look at the commanders that run the greatest number of sorcery cards in their deck, we find that none other than Wart the Raid Mother, the Gruel Goblin Commander Conspiry Copy Spells kind of commander, that has 28 sorceries on average in the deck there. Really cool stuff that you can pull up there by conspiring to tap your stuff and then copy the crazy spells that you play. And sorceries have some really awesome effects that you would want to copy. And for instance, this will probably come as 0% a surprise to anyone who knows about those counter spells. Baral, Chief of Compliance, is way in the lead with the number of instants. He runs an average of 33 of them, and I am afraid of every single one of them because they probably won't let my spells resolve. Well, you you say way in the lead when it comes to instance. Actually, it's not like a huge gap between them. Uh, Narumiha and then Talrand, both are mono blue commanders that run 32 as opposed to the 33 instance that Baral does. But both of those commanders also are kind of incentivizing you for playing a lot of spells. So, Mm. but yeah, I do agree. Baral... Just don't play a bunch of counter spells. Be, be a friend. <laughs> and I, I'm guessing when Joey said that there's, there's a big gap, he may have been looking at the uh, sorcery gap because there, Wart running 28, there's the drop off down to uh, Sir Kara the Bold is 19 and Mizzix at 18. So that's that's really where the big gap is. We're looking at um, nine cards between between first and second and 10, 10 between first and third. So there's a much bigger gap among the sorceries and the instance for sure. Definitely. Yeah, well spotted. Absolutely. Which is really interesting, I'd say. But Wart seems like such cool synergy with those sorceries, because if you play some huge X spell, for example, and you copy it with Wart's ability, there's some awesome stuff that you can do there. But abusing sorceries is a little bit harder to do than all of those commanders that care about you countering spells or casting all of those instants, Talrand making instant speed, drakes, things like that. So there's a lot more. I feel like the numbers here are illustrating to me that it's much easier to abuse instant speed stuff than it is a sorcery. Yeah, I think there's also some specificity among instants for you mentioned that whenever you counter a spell that's a category of instant you can kind of break that down sorceries that isn't really a thing people kind of divide them up at least not in a way that the game cares about there, there's no creatures that really care about when you cast a ramp spell for example but but the act of countering mm-hmm. is a specific thing so i think there's a little bit more there a little bit more game space to play and i think among the instants what I find really sad is that Calamax isn't among the top three for instance, even though he copies instance. He's in fourth place with 31 instance on average. Come on, buddy. You're <laughs> almost there. You are almost there. All right. Let's move from those spells to uh, Dana. You like Planeswalkers, I believe. You've got a, a mono white Planeswalker Super Friends deck. Uh, so tell us all about the Planeswalkers. Who's the commander that has the most Planeswalkers? Again, hint, hint. <laughs> the commander with the most Planeswalkers is Jiru uh, with eyes open, the mono white commander that when he enters a battlefield, you search your library for a Planeswalker card and put it into your hand. And as far as commanders go, there's a lot of commanders that people play that interact nicely with Planeswalkers. But they also interact nicely with other things. Jeru really only deals with planeswalkers, and I don't know if he does it that that well necessarily. Um, <laughs> it's a fun deck, but it's mono white planeswalkers. There's some restrictions <laughs> baked into that whole concept. Um, but it's really all you can do with that deck. So if you're playing Jeru, you're going to be running, you know, 14, 15, 16 planeswalkers. Um, 
that isn't necessarily something we see with, with, with the other planeswalker commanders on the list. There's multiple paths to build them, and I think that kind of dilutes the numbers. Well, yeah, because you can yeah. only play 14, 15, 16 copies of Elspeth's Son's Champion <laughs> right. before your buddies start to get a little suspicious. People eventually figure it out. Dana, I'm just proud of you that, you know, your mono-white Planeswalker deck is the... It's actually the one that has the most Planeswalkers on average. I'm just, you know, that that's really cool. Good for you, man. <laughs> now, how many of those decks were there on the list, Joey? Do you remember that? Uh, probably not a whole lot. <laughs> but I do think that it's kind of interesting that, for example, Atraxa, who is famous for being a Super Friends commander, that's actually only in third place. And there's kind of an interesting reason for why that would be. It's because Atraxa, as you said, has so many other directions that you can go. So when you are just judging by an average here, you're going to sort of miss out on what that means. An Atraxa deck that runs, you know, plus one counters or infect as a strategy is not going to have a bunch of planes walkers in it. The average Atraxa deck, according to the data, has 10, plane, 10 planeswalkers in it, but that's actually not quite the full story because, you know, a plus one counter Atraxa deck is going to have like one or two planeswalkers maybe, but a Super Friends Atraxa deck is going to have like 20 planeswalkers in it. So by getting the average, you sort of split the difference and you're not telling the whole story there. And that's what kind of budges Atraxa's numbers down just a little bit here. But if you are playing a Super Friends Atraxa deck, it's definitely going to be more than just an average of 10 planeswalkers for sure. Definitely. So we'll, let's just move on then. We'll move to the lands category next. And this one, the, the typical list is, is kind of tricky, actually. There are some meme decks out there that we've talked about a few times on the podcast before. Uh, the Maryland of the Morning Song and the Sadisi Ad Nauseam decks that are kind of the, the 96 lands Ad Nauseam and then, you know, just one or two ways to actually kill people. Those kind of skew the numbers a little bit. So we discounted those from the list because we've talked about them being so land heavy, but it's also a very, very narrow archetype and it only counts a couple commanders. So we're going to ignore those as part of this list for now. But when we come to the actual commanders that we are going to consider for this list, in first place, playing an average of 46 lands in the deck is going to be Borba Rigmos Enraged, which is another Gruel commander, uh, an eight converted mana cost commander that has trample um, whenever it deals combat damage to a player you reveal at top three cards you can put lands revealed into your hand and the rest into your graveyard then you can discard lands which is what i think a lot of people like to do whenever you discard a land card borborygmos deals three damage to target creature or player which i do believe was updated to just be to any target 46 lands on average that is quite a spike 46 is huge, especially considering the average commander deck plays something like 35 or 36 or something like that. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't think that Borborygmos and Rage decks are playing enough lands on average. I actually think that no, they probably 46 lands I think is too low. I really do because that ability is very potent when it is comboed up with cards like Snake Umbra or Keen Sense which you enchant to the Borborygmos so that whenever it deals damage, you draw a card. So you toss away a land and then you deal damage and then you draw a card, which is probably going to be another land. So you just chain a whole bunch of damage all at once at just the drop of a hat. It is really, really a lot more powerful than it looks, but you have to have enough lands to make it work. So I think 46 is a smidge too low. Yeah, I've played against more than a few uh, Angry Bobo decks before. And when they work, you just get steamrolled. <laughs> but if they miss a few of those land hits, um, the deck kind of fizzles. So yeah, I, I tend to agree, Joey. 46 is a lot, but uh, you'd probably be better served running, you know, 50, 52, something in that range just to avoid those dry spots. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a really good starting point, actually, because even me playing my Angry Omnath deck, for example, I'm playing 44 lands and that even feels light. And so when you're talking about a commander that you specifically want to be discarding lands, in addition to the eight mana that you already need to get your commander on the battlefield, I do agree. 46 probably does seem a little light. Um, to finish out this list, though, we do have two more commanders. Uh, Sasaya, which is the mono green kind of all your forests make more forests, and then you <laughs> make a lot of mana, and it's really hard to figure out. Like, it's a math lesson on a stick. Uh, 45 lands on average, and then Azusa Lost But Seeking, which is much easier to understand, just you can play two extra lands per turn, plays 44 lands in the average deck. What I think is so fascinating about the relationship that these commanders, which, you know, really care a whole lot about lands is like the Sasaya and the Azusa feel to me like they are sort of the enablers for the deck, whereas Borborygmos and Rage, he's the payoff in the command zone. He's the thing that you're actually doing with lands, and that will completely reshape what each of these decks are able to do and the ways that they're able to care about this thing that they have so much of in the deck. And that's a really important thing. Like, are lands part of your engine or are lands themselves a payoff? In an Azusa deck, drawing more lands to be landfall triggers is going to be a different relationship to, you know, Borborygmos who wants you to hold on to a bunch of them in your hand. And that really just reshapes those decks in a, a way that is, I think, really, really cool and fascinating to see, but that kind of only reveals itself when you compare those commanders against each other. You know, when you say landfall, for example, yeah, Borborygmos falls into that category along with Azusa. Technically, he cares about lands. He's a lands deck, but he cares about them in a completely different way than those other landfall commanders would. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we just got done looking at a category where almost half the cards in the deck were skewed towards one type, in this case lands. Um, let's go the other direction. <laughs> what commander, Joey, has the best balance, the, the best distribution among all the individual card types? Yeah, this is one I've been excited to get to because, yeah, the whole rest of the show, we talked about the commanders that have the most creatures or the most artifacts. But what about not quite the least, but like, yeah, that, that opposite where what's a commander that's just well-rounded and runs an even distribution of all the card types? Is that even possible? How do you even do that? What commander is it? Well, it's fitting that we recently had Chase on at Mana Curves uh, to discuss, you know, those really cool explosive plays in Commander because her signature commander is actually the most balanced, quote unquote, in terms of card types of all the commanders out there. That is Chandra, Fire of Kaladesh, the three mana, two, two human shaman. Whenever you cast a red spell, you'll untap Chandra and she can tap to ping a player. And if she deals three or more damage this turn, you can exile her and then return her as her planeswalker side instead, where she does a whole bunch of crazy stuff. You can get emblems, you can deal damage. It's a Chandra, but in the command zone, which is a whole bunch of weird explosive lots of burn it's a lot of burn i've been burned by chandra a lot I, i'm trying to be excited about it but like let's be real i've just been hit with a lot of chandra burn emblems love you chase really love you anyway the balance that's going on in her deck is actually really fascinating because we see a really even spread there's an average of like 10 artifacts an average of about 14 creatures enchantments are the least represented but there are still five of them there are 11 planeswalkers most likely other chandras there's about 11 instants 13 sorceries and then a pretty typical 35 lands but the distribution there is really clean all the way down. Yeah, I wonder if it isn't the planeswalkers that kind of tug everything else into alignment. Um, at least in my experience, you either see, you know, 15 or 20 planeswalkers in a deck if it's a super friends deck, or you see one or two or three if they just happen to do what the deck wants to do. Very rarely do you see like that 10 and 11 number. Mm -hmm. and, and I wonder if, if that 
the, the amount of balance there kind of then forces you just by virtue of losing that many slots to balance everything else. So that's that's the only logic I can think of here looking at the distribution that Chandra deck. Yeah, I mean, it almost looks like it was done on purpose. Like somebody wanted to make yeah, everything yeah. very symmetrical looking at the numbers. 10 artifacts, 14 creatures, only five enchantments, but they're probably, you know, super expensive enchantments that Dana hates anyways. <laughs> but then 11 planeswalkers, 11 instants, 13 sorceries. Like that's... <laughs> that just seems intentional like it was done on purpose that like all the Chandra players got together or just one Chandra player that submitted a bunch of deck lists <laughs> this is all this is all just Chase who submitted her Chandra deck <laughs> 120 times EDA track well I mean in that case Krim the Asian Avenger he's going to be really happy with the commander in second place for the most even distribution because it's Nicol Bolas the Ravager so once again we're talking about a flippy planeswalkery commander thing going on there that also has a very very strong theme as part of its appeal as a commander where you go a nickel bolus tribal and that gives it a whole bunch of planeswalkers in its deck too like you mentioned dana to kind of tug at all of those other numbers and bring them more closely in alignment with each other planeswalkers are a huge piece of that chandra fire of kaladesh was actually among the top three for the commanders that contain the greatest number of planeswalkers as well there's a really big relationship going on there for the balance of it but i just love that the theme can bring such you know even balance to the deck because the commanders themselves the characters there they appear on cards of all types which players want to play most likely but then there's also all different types of cards that can support those different planeswalkers and what their plans are all about i think that's really delightful okay so we've covered the balance here right now but right now there's probably some modern players who played tarmogoyf at some point in the format wondering why we haven't talked about the last remaining card type tribal why haven't we discussed it joey (laughs) because that's (laughs) Because no, Dana, that's Joey, why. I, I am the resident modern player here, and I'm not even upset about skipping over tribal. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. So having looked over all of that, the commanders that have a bunch of weight towards one specific uh, card type, you know, they're sort of weighted extremely in one direction versus the commanders that have more of an even distribution. I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts again about playing those decks when they are leaning in one specific type and the accommodations you have to make for that, or if there are accommodations that come with playing a very well-rounded uh, even distribution distribution card type model of a deck as well what are the difficulties or the strengths that might come from that that kind of deal like what are some final thoughts that we should wrap up with this episode about extremes and balances i mean dana put it really really well earlier that sums up my feelings about it is finding that balance of making sure you don't have too many payoff cards and you're forsaking the the cards that set up and make those payoff cards worth running like in my creature Mm. decks when i'm playing guardian project for example i want to make sure i'm running enough creatures that i can you know reliably draw a decent amount of cards off guardian project because if i'm playing guardian project i'm only playing 12 creatures that's not really the best use of a slot there so just all the time i'm I'm reevaluating am i playing enough of any given card type in order to support this payoff card that i'm running that's the biggest thing that i struggle with personally in all of my deck building is just making sure that whatever that payoff card is i'm supporting that in a way that's going to help it be reliable and getting me some advantages love that absolutely and i I would say joey you know if i covered matt's point joey kind of covered the one i was i would make here which is you need to kind of maybe be wary of of the cards of the off type so like we mentioned you mentioned in in artifact decks specifically the enchantments that do really useful artifact things 
things like the Thopter spy network, and you would have Mirrodin besieged as an option here, or the Antiquities War, you know, enchantments in blue that also interact with your artifacts. They're very, very useful, but you can get to that point where you've just run too many of those and you don't have enough artifacts to do the artifact things you want to do. So just be very aware of that as well, that, that some of these kind of deck archetypes that really care about one card type oftentimes have a lot of useful cards that aren't of that type. And if you lean too heavily into that, you can wind up watering your deck down too much. Yeah, absolutely love those points. There's a lot to glean from all of those. None of these uh, sort of these points exist on their own. They all rely upon context from their support structures. So even if your deck does contain a whole bunch of creatures, for example, the rest of the cards in the deck are also going to support that. If your deck has a whole bunch of enchantments going on, the rest of the cards are going to be there to support that too. But finding that balance is a very tricky thing, but that's what makes EDH so much fun. With that, fellas, I think what we got to do is call this episode to a close. So thank you so much for joining me. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. You can also find us Wednesday evenings playing awesome games with some awesome guests. Twitch.tv slash EDH Recast. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central, most Fridays. And you can find all three of us at Patreon.com slash EDH Recast. On Thin Ice, Dana, you know we don't talk about that other <laughs> podcast. Anyway, I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecast on both Facebook and Twitter as well. If you have a question, you can also contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone podcast for handling all of the post-production work on our podcast here, and our thanks to our sponsors for the show. They are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting cardkingdom.com slash idiotrek to show your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>